0: Hello, my name is Betsy, and my husband Jason and I have been married for 21 years, and we got married about a month after I turned 21, so this year I've officially lived my life longer married than unmarried, (laughs) so that's kind of neat, but don't let that fool you into thinking I have some level of expertise here. Um, Anything that's good that you take away from me today is only what God has graciously grown out of more failures than successes, and you'll know that's true after I tell you a little of our story. And so also, I know that even though you normally meet in a church, this is more of a community group than like official church women gathering. Um, So no matter what you believe or don't believe, I really hope that you can take something away today. Um, But fair warning, I get my instructions about marriage from the Bible, and I don't know how to talk about marriage without talking about my faith, because we're completely dependent on God for any stability in our marriage, and I am completely dependent on God for any kind of stability, so... Hang in there with me as I share a little of our story and some things that I've learned along the way. So, Jason and I love being married to each other. We are truly best friends, but we've had plenty of struggles along the way. We met at a small Baptist college in Hannibal, Missouri. My husband is from Oregon, and I'm from right here in Southeast Missouri. We dated for 10 months and were engaged for 10 months, and then we got married, and uh, that was the fall after Jason graduated, and I was still in my senior year. So And after I finished my senior year, we ended up moving out to Oregon to Jason's hometown. And so we celebrated our first anniversary about a month after we moved out there, and we were there for about four years. And our time in Oregon was kind of difficult in a lot of ways. Um, I had never been so far away from my own family, and the culture there was very different. It was a lot more independent and solitary in a lot of ways. I joke with Jason that it's literally in their DNA because they're descended from the pioneers out there. but. The church community reflected that independence, too, and so it was really kind of hard to connect, and I just wasn't used to that at all. Um, Even the physical terrain felt nothing like home. It was dirt, sagebrush, juniper trees, and mountains. It was in the high desert. And I know it sounds silly to live in a place with beautiful, majestic mountains and miss the grass and deciduous trees, but it really did. Um, Until one day I was driving home from work, and I was crying and pouring my heart out to the Lord about it. And he just spoke to my heart, and he brought to mind how I loved to look at the sky back in Missouri, my favorite thing to do, and it's always beautiful. And though I much prefer the sunny days to the cloudy days, even the gray clouds are beautiful in their detail, and so he just kind of encouraged me to stop looking at where my feet were planted in the dirt (laughs) and look up to him again and start to appreciate the beauty of the unique, the the unique beauty of the place that he'd actually put me in now, which is the mountains. So that's when I began to appreciate them. and he continues to remind me that so much of life, including marriage, is made more difficult or more doable by my focused perspective. And years ago, he changed my perspective a little bit on what it means to be a good wife. Um, he showed me that I was confusing my role as a wife with a cultural set of feminine tasks. We lived in a very small house at this time, and we had a little tiny garage that we had to be really careful with when we were backing our little Honda Civic out of so that we could clear both of the mirrors. Well, one day I wasn't careful enough and I broke one of the side mirrors off. And at the time we couldn't really afford to pay to have someone fix it and neither of us knew anything about cars. So you know, Jason's not a car guy, but he is a guy. So I assumed that it was in his territory to find a way to fix this, right? But a new mirror never magically appeared on my car. So I determined early in our marriage that I would really try not to be a nagging wife. So somehow I found the right mirror on the internet and ordered it and found a YouTube video and I went to work. Well, Jason was so grateful that he didn't have to worry about it. And I realized that a lot of the home improvement projects that we needed or I wanted done were extremely stressful for him because his male anatomy didn't automatically include the knowledge of how to do all of these things I expected him to do. And since we didn't have a lot of spare change at the time, it would really be helpful if there was a way I could do most of this myself. Um, So I began tackling a lot of these projects myself and I realized I really liked doing some of it. I ventured to build a simple hall table that wasn't pretty, but it was what we needed for storage. Uh, It was functional and it was a lot less expensive. I replaced our toilet and turned a spare bedroom into a closet, tried some other building projects. And during some of these projects, Jason would cook dinner. For many years, he had told me that he enjoyed cooking and grocery shopping, that he could take over most of those tasks, but I thought he was just saying that because he loves me well and he knew I didn't enjoy them, so I continued in those tasks. Now, don't let the irony of that statement pass you by here. For well over half of our marriage, I stubbornly clung to tasks that my culture and my upbringing had assigned to me instead of trusting what my husband was telling me and submitting to his request. And I thought I was being a good wife in doing so. So as I began to let go of some of those false assumptions, I began to see that he really did enjoy cooking and grocery shopping. So dinner at the young house during our third decade of marriage now looks a little different than it did in our first. If you come to our house for dinner these days, you'll sit down to a wonderful meal that was likely bought and prepared by my husband, probably with the help of our daughter who also loves to cook, and the only part I would play in that scene is to have built the table it sets upon. So we look different than most couples because of our tasks, but he is no less of a husband because he likes to cook. (laughs) I mean, please, a man who knows his way around the kitchen, that's on the ideal husband list, right? But here's what it took me a long time to see. I was no less of a wife because I now spend more time in the shop than I do in the kitchen. I am my husband's complement, his helper. So when I got married at 21, I desired and envisioned having five kids by the time I was 30, settling down in our forever home on a farm, Homeschooling our kids and serving home-cooked meals every night and those of you who know me now are laughing I understand this because we have one child We have moved residences nine different times and lived in three different states Our child is goes to public school and the only home-cooked meals we eat now are made by my husband and or daughter so my life has been different than I expected and I'm a different woman than I envisioned being But by God's grace, I've had the example of so many godly women who looked completely different from each other. So some looked like just what I was envisioning, right? But other godly women I've known have worn business suits, scrubs, aprons, overalls, uniforms, tool belts, high heels, and work boots. And when I think of these women, I realize that being a godly woman, a godly wife, is Not about the nature of my tasks, but about the content of my character. My focus today may sound a little strange to some of you, especially those that are familiar with what the Bible calls us to do as wives. Usually, church talks about marriage, focused mainly on the S word of submission. But I'm here to encourage you to fight. Consider this a call to arms. Let me clarify that. I'm talking about being women of valor who fight for our husbands, our marriages, and our families. What I wanna share with you today is about standing and fighting with your husband and not against him. And this may sound like a radical new idea to those of you who've been in church at all, but the problem with only focusing on submission is that it's a one-dimensional picture. And if we're not careful, it can give us a really negative and short-sighted view of our role in marriage. Only focusing on submission can leave us feeling as if we're surrendering to an enemy. And I cannot say this enough, your husband is not your enemy. Let me be clear. We are called to submit to our husbands, but we are not called to be weak or frail or cowardly. Proverbs 31 is a fairly well-known passage in the Bible, and it's an acrostic. The mother of King Lemuel taught him this oracle so that he would know the virtues to look for in a wife. And the acrostic begins with this verse, Proverbs 31.10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. And the phrase, a wife of noble character, has been translated a virtuous woman, but the Hebrew literally means a woman of valor. I love that phrase, but I used to cringe a little bit at Proverbs 31. I'd heard it taught more as a prescriptive passage than descriptive, and so it was like this overwhelming superwife to-do list of tasks that I had to be accomplishing simultaneously in every phase of my life. But that is not what is intended by this passage. It is more about character than tasks. And when you read proverbs 31 you find a wise productive diligent perceptive trustworthy generous and kind woman who is clothed in strength and dignity and the new testament expands this picture with instructions to wives but also in general instructions that it gives to christ followers to all of them because anything that is supposed to characterize a christ follower individually is also supposed to characterize a christ follower in their marriage So, I've created my own acrostic with this woman of valor in mind as my inspiration. And my hope is that you will see the high calling of a biblical wife, a woman of valor, as an honor characterized by strength and dignity, not by weakness and frailty. So, the acrostic is based on the word courageously, because a woman of valor lives courageously. First, she commits to put her relationship with her husband before any other earthly relationship. It is second only to her relationship with God, and this may be hard to hear, because this means that your role as a mother takes a, as a, your role as a mother takes a backseat to your role as a wife. And I know this can be tricky, especially in your stage right now, in your phase, because your children are literally dependent on you for physical survival, and your husband isn't. But remember that this phase with your children is temporary, and they will grow up way faster than you think. They'll become independent and they'll leave the house, at least that is the goal, (laughs) and you'll be left with your husband and the relationship that you have with him apart from your kids. And so this requires that you build and maintain a relationship with him apart from your kids now. So if you can't hire a babysitter for a regular date night, make some connections at MOPS or at your local church and co-op with another family. Watch the kids one night while they go out and then they watch them while you go out. Be creative. Ask your mentor or moms, or share some ideas with each other. Look ideas up on Pinterest if you have to, but seek those opportunities because a woman of valor will fight for and protect this time with her husband. Next, a woman of valor also opens her heart to the Lord. Psalm 62 verse 8 tells us to trust the Lord and pour out our hearts to him because he is our refuge. Friends, there is no one better to talk to about your husband than God. Not your mom, not your friends, not even nagging your husband himself. God knows your husband better than you know him, and God knows where your husband needs to change, and the change that he works is genuine, it's true, and it's transforming. God knows us better than we know ourselves, and when I pray for God to change something about my husband, oftentimes he shows me where I need to change too, and how I can be a help and not a hindrance to my husband's growth. It's natural to want to avoid the exposure of our own faults and our own sins. It's easier to grumble or complain to our mom or to a friend that we know will take our side. But a woman of valor will approach the Lord with her heart and pray for her husband's heart, knowing that any changes that he makes to either one of them will only make them better and will only bring them closer together. And a woman of valor also understands. She seeks to know and understand her husband and how she will be helpful to him. How can I help you is one of the most valuable phrases that you can say to your husband. And what does he value and what does he prioritize? I stress your husband here because your husband's strengths and weaknesses are different than my husband's. And so he'll find different things helpful than my husband does. And I touched on this earlier and how Jason would rather that I handle um, household projects than cook dinner. And maybe your husband hates to drive, so you offer to be the designated driver when you're riding together. Um, maybe he would prefer to drive, so you defer and give him the, the driving when you're together even though you like to, to drive as well. Maybe your husband would like to be able to count on one night a week where there are no plans. I know that's hard sometimes, especially as your kids get older. But carve out and protect a family night each week. And even if it can't always be the same night each week because schedules fluctuate, um, just do your best to reserve a night where he knows that he can plan on being home. Uh, maybe your husband has a hard time relaxing when there's too much clutter. Find a couple big bins that you can just kind of throw everything into when you don't have time to put everything in its place. But mm. I know these sound like petty and silly things, but most of our lives, they're made out of these little everyday moments. Um, so our character and that of our marriage may be more easily seen in those big life-changing moments, but they're built on those little everyday moments, those small decisions that we make every day. And we bring a lot of assumptions into our marriage based on our culture and how we were raised. Don't waste your time doing what you assume is helpful to your husband. Seek to know him and understand how he thinks, what makes home home to him, and what is really most helpful to him.
1: Another thing I
0: learned as I started implementing those things that Jason preferred is that I have to be willing to look bad to outsiders who have their own ideas about what it means to be a good wife. For the first several weeks of our marriage, I would get up with Jason, even though he had to leave for work a lot earlier than I had to leave for class, and I would make him breakfast and we'd eat together. Um, and after a few weeks, he asked me, why do you get up and cook me breakfast? And I said, well, my mom did that for my dad. It was really important that she do that. And I just assumed all husbands would want that. <laughs> and he said, well, do you have to? And I said, you don't want me to? And he explained that he really liked time by himself early in the morning, and he preferred a bowl of cereal to a large breakfast. Well, I was pleasantly surprised by this, because I like time by myself that early in the morning as a college senior, too. Curled up asleep in my bed. So I was pleasantly surprised, but my dad was not pleasantly surprised the first time that he visited us. And now every time that my parents visited us when we lived out of state, my dad would always tell me how I needed to be having breakfast ready for Jason, cooked and hot breakfast, and he just couldn't understand that Jason preferred it this way. And because Jason's such a good man, (laughs) and he does love me so well, my dad still thinks that Jason just lets me sleep in, and he would really prefer that I get up and cook him breakfast and have it ready for him. And I'm not the only one who has confused roles with tasks, so I know that it's really easy for other people to look at us from the outside in and think that I wear the pants in the family because I build things and Jason cooks. And I know it sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, (laughs) but I have to be willing to look bad to those outsiders who don't understand and rest in the fact that I'm honoring and helping my husband and we're unified. Next, the woman of valor relentlessly forgives. She does not relentlessly rehearse her husband's faults to him, to herself, or to others. She doesn't allow bitterness to take root She avoids avoids using phrases like, you always, or you never. Those statements are rarely accurate to begin with, but they also drag the shame of the past right into the room with them, and they sweep the hope right out of it. So often, we want to punish. But shame and punishment only destroy relationship, and they sow bitterness in the heart of the unforgiven. This is where having a harvest mentality in marriage is really important, because we will reap what we sow. And the biblical woman of valor forsakes anger, malice, wrath, bitterness, and entrusts her heart to the Lord, seeking His grace to enable her to forgive as He has forgiven her. And doing this is a lot easier when we do what comes next in the acrostic. A woman of valor acknowledges her own sin and weakness, her faults, and her failures. Friends, you are married to a sinner. I don't have to tell you that. You know it, right? But your husband is also married to a sinner. We have to live in a constant awareness of our own weakness and our own need for forgiveness. I skipped over a major part of our story earlier. I mentioned that Oregon was a tough time. I had trouble adjusting to the lack of community there, and I jumped right into Bible study trying to develop deeper relationships and connections, but it just didn't happen. Jason was traveling all week every other week, and I had no no accountability, no church friends, and no encouragement. But I was expecting people to reach out to me, And I didn't recognize how weak I was or how desperately I needed to seek out women who would help me to be faithful to God and to my husband. And because I grew up in church and Jason didn't, he had a false sense of security that I was spiritually strong enough to walk faithfully with the Lord without his leadership. And he thought I was more spiritually mature, and he lacked the confidence to lead. I was disappointed to see this lack of leadership early in our marriage, I tried to encourage him and pray for him without nagging or shaming him. But honestly, I thought I was strong enough to walk faithfully without his leadership or without the support of a strong church body either. But I was wrong. A mutual friend of ours began to pursue me romantically. And I tried to talk to Jason about his flirtations, but this man was very charming and charismatic. And it seemed to Jason that he just flirted with everyone. So he wasn't real worried about it, and I was not persistent enough to make it clear to Jason that he should be concerned. Well, over time, I let my guard down and began to respond to his advances. Thankfully, before things got too much further, I happened to leave an email open on the computer, and Jason saw it. And he confronted me, and I immediately broke down crying. I didn't want anyone else. I didn't love this other guy. I didn't want a divorce, but I had completely derailed and disconnected from God and his people. I didn't communicate clearly with my husband. I didn't seek accountability or flee temptation. I didn't set up boundaries to protect my heart and my marriage. And let's be clear. I was guilty of adultery. It was only the grace of God that allowed Jason to see that email, and I have no doubt that he was protecting me from fully physically carrying out the unfaithfulness that was already in my heart. And I begged Jason to forgive me, and I stopped all communication with the man, and Jason did forgive me relentlessly. He has never brought up my unfaithfulness to shame or punish me. And he forgave the man. He took a Bible to this man and shared the gospel with him. My husband, who hadn't studied the Bible as long as I had, or heard faithful faithful biblical teaching all his life, like I had, showed me Jesus that day, and I knew that I had to follow this man. And God has been growing Jason as a spiritual leader ever since, and we both learned a very valuable truth by my sinful failure. Never say never. You are not above temptation, and it is way easier to climb off your high horse before you get thrown off. So be aware of your own weaknesses. So I clearly learned the next part of the acrostic the hard way. The woman of valor guards her heart and her mind. We have to be diligent to maintain boundaries and hedges of protection around our hearts and minds for the sake of our marriages. There are some very practical things that we can do to create accountability. No device or account is private. Each spouse should have any time access to the others. And use technology for good. I know that apps like Life360 can be used wrongly, but for most of us, there's really not a good reason that our husband couldn't look and see where we are at any given moment. And as much as possible, both husband and wife need to avoid situations where they're they're alone with someone of the opposite sex. Somehow we have to stay accountable. And we'll discuss choosing our counsel wisely in a minute, but be careful whom you allow to influence your thinking. Followers of Christ, the word of God is your standard for truth and you have to know the truth to recognize a lie. The best way for a woman of valor to guard her heart and her mind is to abide in God's word in his presence and with his people. And a woman of valor also embraces realistic expectations. Now remember, you're not married to a perfect person and neither is your husband. Sometimes we can be guilty of asking our husbands to give us what only God can give. Your husband may be a wonderful guy, but sooner or later, More likely sooner, you're going to find out he makes a pretty poor savior. He doesn't love you perfectly. Only God's love is steadfast and unfailing, and expecting perfection from a flawed person inevitably leads to disappointment. So don't set your husband up for failure by expecting him to be something to you that only God can be. And a woman of valor opens her heart to her husband. Did you know that the Bible instructs him to live with you in an understanding way? And I say this not so you can start blaming your husband for how he fails at this, because he will fail at this. But I point this out so that you can see the character of our loving Heavenly Father here. The same God who commands us to to submit to our husbands also commands them to live with us in an understanding way. I mean, you think we have it hard with submission? They have to try to figure us out. And I don't know about you, but I can hardly figure myself out most days. God's desire for marriage is not for a tyrant of a husband to rule over his subject of a wife, but for a respectful wife to trust a loving husband who is seeking to understand her. So if you want an understanding husband, help him understand you. He cannot read your mind. Don't play games with him or make him guess what's bothering you. Don't give him the cold shoulder. Write a note or a letter if you have to, but find a way to be open and honest with your husband. And speak to him in the same way that you would want him to speak to you. And this brings us to the next point. A woman of valor uses her words to build her husband up and not tear him down. She is gentle and respectful. She compliments in public and she shares concerns or constructive criticisms in private. She encourages her husband and she speaks with wisdom and kindness. Ladies, as I was preparing this, I was going to say that we have no idea the impact that our words have on our husband. But... I'm actually fearful that we do know. I fear that we know exactly what we're doing, and we say what we say, or we say it how we say it, or maybe we give them the cold shoulder of silence, and we we use that to hurt, to manipulate, and to punish the man that we're supposed to protect, encourage, love, and honor. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't acknowledge when we're sinned against, or that we should ignore sin or not address it if we see a pattern of sin in our husband's life. Turning a blind eye to sin is never loving, but it does mean that we wait for a proper time when we've examined our own heart and we're prepared to speak truth in love with humility. Then we can communicate gently, privately, kindly, and with a tender heart that is looking for his best in God in God's glory. And a woman of valor also seeks accountability and wise counsel, not justification and yes women. Some of us talk too much about our husband with the wrong motives of seeking to strengthen our case against him. But some of us talk too little about him with seemingly good motives. What I mean is that some of us hesitate to reach out for help when we need it in our marriages. Whether we think we shouldn't need help or whether we don't want to be perceived as talking bad about our husbands, we hesitate. But a woman of valor will fight for her marriage by seeking wise counsel. She only talks to others about problems or issues in their marriage with the blessing of her husband, with the exception of some sort of abusive situation. She chooses to confide in people who will be faithful to point out where she is blind to her own sin and who will help her to turn toward her husband and not away from him. And trust me, ladies, when your husband knows that these are the kind of women you're receiving counsel from, he will encourage you to spend time with them and to talk to them because he knows they'll call you out when you're being ridiculous. And the woman of valor is humble enough to, when necessary, seek professional counseling that is faithful to God and to his word. Next, a woman of valor loves intentionally. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. And there are moments we don't feel affectionate towards our husbands, but we can choose to show them love. Find out what communicates love to your husband. You've probably heard of the Five Love love Languages book by Gary Chapman. He writes about five love languages in which people communicate love and they feel loved. Um, They are acts of service, gift giving, physical touch, quality time, and words of affirmation. Well, Jason and I found these descriptions very helpful early in our our marriage. We actually had to check in a little bit over the years because they have kind of gone in different directions in different phases, so it's good to check in on those. But we found them very helpful to know how to communicate love to the other person. And a lot of times, one's love language doesn't come natural for the other person, so Set an alarm in your phone or write a sticky note or something to remind yourself to hug a physical touch guy or to encourage a words of affirmation guy. Um, But showing love when we're not feeling affection is unnatural, so it has to be intentional for us. And it's in those moments that a woman of valor chooses to show a more faithful and a deeper love. Finally, a woman of valor yields to her husband's leadership. Here it is. We can't be one-dimensional about submission, but we cannot leave it out either. And let's be honest, sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, so it takes courage and strength to do it. And this is probably where our culture bristles the most against what the Bible says about marriage and about a wife's role. The wife's call to submit to her own husband. And let me be clear, this is not a call to follow your husband into sin or to submit to abuse. If you are in, a, in an abusive situation, you need to get safe. And if you're a member of a church, reach out to your church so that they can help you. Your brothers in Christ are called to protect you and call your husband to accountability. God loves and cares for women, and he is not calling them to submit to abuse. But thank God, that is not the experience most of us face. Most of us struggle with submission because it calls us to surrender control and to consider our husband's thoughts and desires before our own. And this is a call, by the way, that God gives to all Christ followers in Philippians chapter 2. So it's not just exclusive to wives, but when we fail to do it, we have to call it what it is. It's sin. One of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp, says that selfishness is the DNA of sin. We have to be honest with ourselves here. The reason most of us struggle with submission is not that we fear our husbands or we don't feel safe. It's because we are selfish sinners who would rather fight for our own interests than deny ourselves. And that's what the Bible calls followers of Christ to do, whether married or not. And that's the crux of it, isn't it? (laughs) All these things I mentioned come down to self-sacrifice, and that's why marriage is hard. But God himself gave us the example to follow here. He is not asking us to do anything he's not already done himself or that he will not equip us to do. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live among us. Jesus, the creator of all things, wrapped himself in our humanity and willingly became the most vulnerable creature on earth, a little baby boy. He lived a life without sin so that he could be the perfect, blameless sacrifice necessary to pay for the sins of mankind. He submitted himself to death on a cross, and in doing so, he took the penalty for our sin. He endured the wrath of the Father, and he rose from the dead three days later, so that those who believe in him could become sons and daughters of God. In turning from our sin and turning to God, we seek his forgiveness, trusting in Christ's work on our behalf. And from this moment on, Christ is with us. He clothes us in his righteousness and fills us with his spirit. And it's only by this grace that we can live a life of self-sacrifice. And When I understand that Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father for my sake, I realize that submission is far from weak or frail or cowardly. I can look beyond my husband to see Jesus, and I can submit to my husband as unto Christ. And only by his spirit and his grace can I be the strong and courageous woman of valor that he's called me to be, clothed in strength and dignity, who trusts him enough to answer his call to something that is more active than passive. Friends, what if we recognize that mere submission is a shallow understanding of our charge as women of valor? It's a much greater call than that. It's a call to self-sacrifice. You wouldn't give a second thought to laying down your life for your child, would you? But what about for your husband and for your marriage? We have countless opportunities each day in the little moments to lay down our life. Moments when we can choose what's easiest for us or what's best for our husband and our marriage and our family. Will we choose to be strong and courageous in the Lord? Or will we surrender ground to the enemy? Will we stand alongside our husband and choose to fight with him? Or will we turn on him and fight against him? Will we determine to place our shield in front of the chinks in his armor that we know better than anyone? Or will we turn and aim our weapons at them? Friends, the call of a biblical wife is one of action, not passivity. She commits to prioritize her relationship with her husband, she opens her heart to God she seeks to understand her husband she relentlessly forgives she acknowledges her own sin she guards her heart and her mind she embraces realistic expectations she opens her heart to her husband she uses her words to build her husband up and not tear him down she seeks accountability and wise counsel she loves intentionally and she yields to the leadership of her husband as unto the lord this is countercultural. this takes courage and strength that only can be found in christ and if you have not turned from your sin to God through faith in Jesus Christ, I implore you today to receive the gift of salvation and eternal life. And if you have received this gift of salvation, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and He calls and equips you to be a woman of valor. To close, I want to share a true account of something that took place in 2007. Just about a week before Jim and Nell Ham were to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary, these experienced hikers took a hike in one of the state parks. She was 65 at the time and he was 70. And along the way, Jim was attacked by a mountain lion. Jim fought back, trying to hit the mountain lion in the throat, but she pulled him down to the ground by his arm and held him there, her mouth around his head. Then he heard his wife yelling for him to fight. Nelham, 65 at the time, grabbed an eight foot tree branch and began pummeling the cougar in her side while yelling to her husband, Fight, Jim, fight. And Jim fought. He managed to get a hand inside of the cougar's mouth to hold her tongue, and he jammed his finger up her nose and pushed her back as hard as he could as she bit his face and tried to move down and move her teeth around his neck. Then Jim told Mel that he had a pen in his pocket, and she should use it to stab the mountain lion in the eye. She did exactly that, but the pen broke in half and the mountain lion held on. Mel went back to the log and struck the mountain lion in the head as hard as she could. The mountain lion jumped back and looked at Nell, ready to pounce. Nell held, held the limb over her head and yelled as loud as she could, and the cougar turned and walked away. Nell supported her husband as he limped the quarter mile back to the trailhead, and then she covered him in branches to protect him as they waited for help. Jim was in critical condition and had to have a lot of surgeries, but he survived. Experts say that he's alive because Jim and Nell didn't run away. They never lost their pool. They stayed together and fought back. Friends, this couple was married for nearly 50 years when this happened. Though this was likely the most intense physical battle they had fought to that point, I really hope it was, (laughs) to have stayed married for 50 years, it could not have been the first time that they had fought to survive and stay together. It wasn't the first time they fought with and not against each other. There is so much we could glean metaphorically from the details of the story, but for now, the point I want to close with comes from what the wildlife experts said that they did right. They are still alive because they did not run away, they never lost their cool, they stayed together and fought back. And one more thing I noticed as I read about this valiant wife, Nelham, in an attempt to help other hikers, she warned them not to travel alone along the wild areas of the hiking trail. Well, sisters, there's a lot of wild areas on our journey in marriage and in life. Let's be women of valor to one another as well. Let's determine to encourage each other to move towards our husbands and not away from them. Let's challenge each other to put on the full armor of God and fight for and alongside our husbands for the good of our family, the witness of our marriage, and the glory of our God. Thank you for allowing me to share with you today.